The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Bet you don't hear that very often. The Ecclesiastes, we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're looking at verses 1 through 14 this afternoon. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. Let's now give our attention as God Himself speaks to us in His holy and enduring Word. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that would be after him. This concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, in our passage today, Solomon gives us some Proverbs, which we're familiar with. We went through the book of Proverbs, and we know Proverbs simply are pithy statements that are packed with wisdom. Except these Proverbs take on a different shape than the Proverbs from the book of Proverbs. They have a different emphasis, a different focus. They take on a different tone in that they tell us to find wisdom in places where the curse stands out the most, like death and difficulty. Finding wisdom where you would not expect to find it. And so three places where wisdom can be found in this vain world is the outline for this afternoon. And they are first, death, second, disapproval, and third, difficulty. So first, death, verse 1. 
A good name is better than precious ointment. Now, name here refers to your reputation, what you're known for, your character and legacy. And Solomon says that a good reputation is better than precious ointment. The precious ointment back then, things like myrrh. And myrrh was used to anoint somebody before they were buried. And that's actually the context of which Solomon speaks because he goes on to immediately say that the day of death is better than the day of birth. This anointment was used to cover over the smell of somebody who was rotting due to death. So at someone's death, what is better to have is a good name rather than precious ointment. It is better to smell bad than to have a bad reputation. And considering that some of this precious ointment came with a lot of money, it's better to have a good reputation than to be wealthy. And this helps us consider what is important in life. You know, when we're alive, people may talk about the clothes we wear, the possessions we have. But at our funeral, people are not going to be talking about the possessions we have or what we have on, even if we're really nicely dressed up in the casket. Rather, they are going to reflect upon our name, our, our legacy, our character, how we lived our life, what we were known for. So we can get much wealth and a lot of stuff, but does it come at the cost of our reputation? Are we rich in possessions but poor in reputation? We shouldn't pursue a reputation for selfish purposes to exalt ourselves, but it's just naturally good to, to have a good name. In fact, the Ninth Commandment requires that we protect the reputation and name of others. But it is even more important when the name of Christ is attached to us when we claim to belong to that name. And so the context of death, in this context of death, Solomon goes on to say in verse 1, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Now this sounds backwards and strange, doesn't it? When somebody brings a baby into the world, we're joyful with them. We say congratulations. But when somebody experiences a death in the family, it's sad, and we send them our condolences. So how can the day of death, the end of life, be better than the beginning of life? How can Solomon say this? Well, as we have been seeing in Ecclesiastes, it's better to leave the realm of vanity than it is to enter the realm of vanity. As Solomon said back in chapter 4, the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. And so Solomon is, is saying it's better, or because of the sin-cursed world, the, the realm of vanity, it's better to leave it than to enter it. Again, Solomon is speaking from the perspective of if all we had was this world apart from redemption, in Christ in order to leave us hanging so that we desire the rest of the story that we find in the Bible. Redemption in Christ. And so he doesn't tell us what comes after death here, 
We find that in, out in the rest of the Bible. So if we just consider this vain world, then that would be true. But it is true in Christ to leave this world than to enter into it. Because those who die in the Lord go to be with the Lord. When we are born, we enter this vain life. But when we die, we enter the realm where vanity and the curse are no more. And so, considering death gives much wisdom and helps put things into perspective in this vain life. This is why Solomon continues in verses 2-4, through It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is, the, is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So what he's saying is, it's better to go to a funeral than a party. Nothing wrong with going to a, a party, as long as, of course, it's honorable. But it's better to go to a funeral, Solomon says. And that's because, as he says here, this is the end of all mankind. We're all going to die someday. And the living is going to take this to heart. And this is not something we, we like to think about, is it? I mean, how often do we think about the day of our death? We prefer to think about lighthearted things. We want laughter. Uh, we want joy. But Solomon says sadness is better. Sadness is a reality check to the realm we live in, the realm of vanity. And you can only say this in this life because obviously when we enter heaven, it's going to be joy forevermore. But what Solomon is doing here is he's giving us proverbs that say, take wisdom from things of the curse, sadness. And he says that sadness leads to a heart that's made glad. And what he's saying here is that if you're happy all the time, you tend to take it for granted in this sin-cursed world. It can even become sad. But sadness makes the heart glad and that you appreciate it more read, readily when you have joyous times. Kind of like if, if you haven't had sugar for a long time, if you eat sugar all the time, things don't taste as sweet. But if you haven't had it for a really long time and then you eat something, it, whoa, that's really sweet. It's kind of the way it is. With, when we have sadness, when the joy comes, that is when we appreciate it even more. And so Solomon says the wise are in the house of mourning rather than the house of mirth, a place of fun and amusement because it reminds us of the world we live in and it reminds us of what is coming. Every day we can legitimately say, today very well might be my last day on earth. Every single day we can say that, whether we're young or we're old. And we do want to make, take this to heart and make sure that we are trusting in Christ alone for forgiveness so that we enter His presence on the day of our death. So death is a place where wisdom is found in this vain world. A second place where wisdom can be found in this vain world is what I call disapproval. Verses 5-6. through six. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. 
So when we get rebuked, what does that imply? It implies that at least one of our actions finds disapproval rather than approval. And notice that this is the rebuke of the wise. This is not a critical spirit of a fool or somebody who's just trying to get approval, him or herself, by, by loving charges against others. So it is legitimate disapproval of our actions. And this is really difficult for us to take. Because what do we want? We want approval. We want affirmation. We want acceptance. And I think one of the issues in some of the traditions that we've grown up in is that you don't give encouragement because uh, you might make somebody proud if you give encouragement. So I think that maybe some of us can grow in that area, uh, giving encouragement. But nevertheless, the flesh wants only approval and acceptance. We want our righteousness to be recognized and justified. And this is why the Song of Fools is so much more appealing than the flesh. The Song of Fools could be silly. It could be songs of drunkards. Or it could be songs where our sin is approved of, as we see with many of the secular songs in our day. But we prefer, even if there's no musical notes put to it, we prefer to be surrounded by those who pat us on the back, who approve of us at all times, who vindicate us, who join us in, gang in ganging up on our enemies to prove us right and them wrong. But this is like the crackling of thorns in a fire. Now, if you've ever burned thorns or nettles, you know that they're loud and not lasting. And that's the point here. The laughter of fools, the approval of fools may be loud, but it's not lasting. It doesn't have any lasting substance to them. It is better to hear, to consider and take to heart and heed the rebuke of the wise, even though it's painful to hear. A third place where wisdom may be found. So we saw first death, second disapproval, third difficulty. Verse 7. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. So madness here is more than just being crazy. It refers to doing that which is evil, such as taking a bribe. And it's oppression that can be a driving force behind this. Oppression is a specific kind of difficulty. Being under evil power. Being treated unjustly with no foreseen recourse. And so Solomon has some wisdom for those in a situation like this. He says in verse 8, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So this is a proverb, a general truth. That means it's not true all the time. There are exceptions. Don't count on it being true all the time, but most of the time. And this is a proverb for the person facing specific difficulty of being under uh, oppression, being under a particular difficulty. He says the end is better than the beginning. And what this means is that while the situation now is difficult, and while the situation may start off rough, just wait. Endure. Usually it turns out better in the end. We can think of a lot of ex examples, can't we? I think marriage is one of the, uh, the, the top examples. Many testimonies 
of people who, in the early years, once you get past the honeymoon phase, marriage is difficult. But then you talk to people that have endured in marriage. They say, now we laugh at the difficulty. We know the Lord has brought us through this far. He's going to continue to bring us through. Or we could think of a business. Initially, I've heard stories of people who start out a business and fail. But then, eventually, once they get past the learning curve, once they, once they learn, once they get a hang of it, they turn out to be blessed, turn out to thrive. Church plants are very much like this. I've had several friends who have planted churches, and they say it's one of the most miserably difficult things on the face of the planet. You have to do everything, legal paperwork, secretary work, budget, answer the phone, secure a building, sign a lease, janitor, maintenance, all sorts of, of things. Uh, they have strange people showing up who stir up division. The people who start out the church plan are not the ones who remain. It is small and difficult uh, to retain visitors, and it remains small for many years. But while this beginning is difficult, the end or outcome, generally speaking, is better. I still remember when I first got here in 2019 at Sovereign Grace Bible Church in uh, Worland. Uh, they were going to have a vote whether or not to keep their doors open. And they decided to continue to persevere, and now the Lord's really blessed them. And they just celebrated a wonderful 10-year anniversary, and they, they've seen a great increase, and we praise the Lord for that. So what Solomon is saying here is to endure. Don't throw in the towel. Continue to press on. Things may be difficult at the beginning, but the end or the outcome is usually better than the beginning. And so Solomon says it is better to be patient in spirit. That to have this inner disposition and strength to endure, to keep pressing on in hardship, to take heart and wait on the Lord. And this is why being patient of spirit is put in opposition to being proud of spirit. A proud spirit relies on oneself for strength rather than trusting the Lord for strength. Trusting that despite the hardship, God has your best interests in mind. A proud spirit rejects the truth of God and takes matters into his own hands. I can't trust the Lord to deliver me or work things out for my good, so I will trust myself, depend on my own strength, and guard to protect myself. And it doesn't ever mean that you can't seek a solution, can't seek to get out of that situation, but don't throw in the towel just because it's hard. And in line with this proud spirit is an angry spirit. In verse 9, it says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Now, Solomon does not say, never get angry at all under any circumstances. No, it's times to get angry. Jesus got angry. Rather, he says, do not be quick to become angry. Do not be someone who gets set off easily. And notice that Solomon does not say, do not be quick to express your anger. Rather, he says, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Yes, we do need to exercise self-control when we feel that anger rising up within so that we don't express it. But Solomon says that you should not even have anger building up inside of you quickly, regardless of whether or not you express it. This demonstrates a proud spirit, a foolish spirit. He says anger lodges in the heart of fools. 
but having a humble, gentle, and wise spirit is what produces a patient spirit that's not so easily offended or angered and is able to endure hardship, is able to overlook sin, able to overlook an offense. And Solomon gives us more wisdom regarding difficulty in verse 10. He says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Now this is a common saying in our day, isn't it? And we can understand why. It wasn't but 15 years ago that people like Barack Obama, Joe Biden, and Hillary Clinton were defending marriages between one man and one woman. And in a matter of about two decades, now promoting, promoting extreme forms of, of absurdities and harmful things for children. And so we can say, wow, the world's really changed. And some of you who were older can say that. And that is true in a sense. But I think what we need to keep in mind is that we don't want to say that the world back then was less vain than the world today. All that's happening is God is just taking off the mask of people's hearts. He's just pulling back the curtain. The things that were not, that didn't come out in the open because of societal pressures are now coming out in the open. There used to be a closet. It's just now the closet doors are open, so to speak. It doesn't mean that we can't push back or uh, be involved in, in uh, society to affect change for the common good. But just know, this world has always been vain, vain since the fall, and it will continue to be so even in time to come. And so Solomon goes on to say in verses 11 through 12 about having wisdom. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. You may have a wonderful inheritance. That's a good thing. In fact, the Bible assumes you'll have one. But it is good so long as you have wisdom to go with it. You'll manage your money better. You'll use it for more honorable purposes. And to those who look for, to money for protection, which in a sense does provide protection, not in an ultimate sense, but in a certain sense, you need money to live. God is the one who ultimately provides, but he gives you means of making money to do so. He's the one who provides you with this wealth. But Solomon says, well, consider wisdom is also protection. Don't throw out wisdom with money. And when in difficulty, there are two important considerations that Solomon gives in verses 13 through 14. In verse 13, he says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? So we see here that God has made something crooked. God has intentionally bent something out of shape. He has made something bent out of shape so that it no longer functions the way it was originally designed to. Why would God make something crooked? How can this be considered the work of God? That's what we read here. Consider the work of God. He has made crooked. What is he talking about here? Well, as we saw from chapter 1, this is referring to the curse. It is 
God's righteous judgment on account of the sin of our first parents. He, in His righteous judgment, has punished us for our sin by cursing this world, by breaking it. We live in a broken world, a world that doesn't function the way it was originally intended to or originally designed. If you ever bought something that's broken and expected it to work properly? No, of course not. That's the world we live in. It's broken. Don't expect it to work properly. God's the one who's broken it. You say, well, we can fix it, right? Well, it says right here, who can make straight what he has made crooked? You're not fixing this world. No man can fix it. And this leads to the next consideration. Verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God is the one. Or God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So we can legitimately enjoy the day of prosperity. The happy times of blessings, health, provision, enjoyment, peace, a relative lack of difficulty. Enjoy it. A lot of times we're concerned, oh, I know the hammer's going to come. I shouldn't enjoy this. I'm worried about what's going to come. No, enjoy it now. It would be sin against our Creator to not enjoy them and give Him thanks, acknowledging Him for it, especially in a broken world that we can have any joy, any enjoyment, any prosperity. What a gift of God's common grace to us. But notice what Solomon says. Who has made the day of adversity? The days of difficulty in our life. The Bible clearly says here that God is the one who has done it. It's not the case that God only gives day of prosperity and blessing while the days of adversity were just out of His power and control. If the days of adversity did not come from God, then what assurance or hope do you have that He can't prevent days of adversity in the future? Sorry, I don't have power over that. I, I, I hope that it doesn't happen to you. No, the Bible clearly says here the day of adversity comes from God. Now, God does not give adversity with the same evil intentions as men. What man intended for evil, God intended for good. God's intentions are always good, even working through sinful men for His good purposes. There's also a mystery between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And this is, I think this is a stumbling block. When people think, I can figure this out. I, I, there's something, you can't, Come on, my mind is like, is like superior. There's, you can't tell me that I can't figure this out. Just give me the equation. You know, Stop being around the bush. Give me the equation. Let me figure this out. We're not going to figure it out. Scripture clearly says God is sovereign whatsoever comes to pass, and yet men are responsible. There's a true preacherly freedom with men, and that's why they're going to be held accountable for all, all their actions. But everything comes under the sovereign hand of God. We may not know why. We may not know exactly how all this works. But Scripture affirms both. And this is important to understand when the days of difficulty come. It comes from God. 
But this is where our understanding of the gospel needs to come in. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, as R.C. Sproul answered, that only happened once, and he volunteered. Since no one is good, no, not one, there are no good people that bad things happen to. That only happened once. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who perfectly is good, and only He alone. And He came to suffer bad things from the curse voluntarily for our good and for our salvation. He suffered the ultimate bad effect of the curse. Something that you and I who believe will never experience, which is the full-fledged wrath of God. Because He took it all for us. And it is through the ultimate expression of the curse that God took care of the curse for us. It was through the crook that God has straightened the crook. Who can fix this? One man. And one man only. The man Jesus Christ who has by taking on the full expression of the curse for us. And in so doing, He has forever removed that curse. And all we have to do is simply believe this Gospel. Trust that Christ fully took care of the curse against our sin to receive this as a free gift through faith. And since we who believe are no longer under the curse, any difficulty that comes our way is not being used for our harm, but for our good. And you say, well, how can that be? God works out all things for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that just the good things? How can He say all things, even the difficulty that God brings my way? Why does He bring difficulty my way then? It's to conform us into the image of Christ. God now used the things of the curse, difficulty, in order to bring about a beautiful result of shaping Christ in us. All things work for that purpose. After all, if God can use the greatest expression of the curse, the cross of Christ, in order to deliver us from the curse, He can use evil the greatest evil for the greatest good, then certainly He uses all difficulty in our life for good in shaping us into the image of Christ. In fact, even death is used for this purpose. Because death now is a servant that brings us out of this vain life and into the presence of God where our spirit is made perfect. And so may we learn wisdom from these things that occur as a result of the curse. Death, disapproval, and difficulty. Knowing that God is for us. And if He is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask You would help us to believe these things. We, we believe, but help our unbelief. Please give us a deep faith and sense that these things are true. May they guide us in the day of difficulty. But we give you thanks for all the good and prosperity you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.
You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.